Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast, your source for all things experience. I'm one of your co-hosts, Adele Sage, joined as always by Angelina Jenis. Hello, Angelina. Hey, Adele. And today we have a guest who has been on the show before, but is in a new role. So I would like to welcome David Troke, who has been a research director and is now a principal analyst on the customer experience research team. Welcome, David. Thank you, Adele. Hello, and hello to you too, Angelina. Hey, David. So tell us about this exciting new coverage area of yours. You are, are stepping into an analyst role, or back into an analyst role, I should say. And tell us about what you are writing about and researching. Sure, yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's one of the things I think is really great about Forrester's culture of letting us do these role switches from time to time, as many of us have done in the past. And what I'm going to be focusing on, or have been focusing on, is really three different areas. One is designing experiences based on emerging technologies like conversational AI, extended reality, wearables, IoT, etc. Number two, digital tools used for doing design, so the tools used by designers. And number three, related ideas like evidence-based innovation. And the first area that I'm really focusing my research on in some, a series of reports that I'm doing right now is about designing experiences that are conversational, so commonly known as chatbots. And it's not the first time Forrester has covered chatbots. No, absolutely not. But given your background, you're taking a new angle on this. Yeah, well, many analysts at Forrester have covered chatbots from a technology perspective, from an ecosystem perspective, business value, etc. My colleagues, Ian Jacobs, Julie Osk, there are too many to name. And there are many, many of them have written about chatbots from different angles. What I'm doing is focusing on conversational experiences from a design perspective, the importance of a UX point of view on what the experience of the conversation is, which we believe has been missing or neglected, maybe I should say. I've never worked on a chatbot project before. It's a little daunting to think about tackling for someone who's who wants to ensure that it's done right, that the customer experience is right, but needs to understand the fundamentals. Maybe we could start with overall, like are chatbots the same as voice? Is that a different category? How do we categorize chatbots? Well, you may have never worked on a chatbot, but you certainly experienced one. Most of us have experienced chatbots and most of us have found them disappointing. And I would include those experiences that have been disappointing I would include both uh, voice and text. There was a time when people used the word chatbot more to mean text interactions as opposed to voice, but really it's increasingly come to mean both. And so I've accepted that practice, and I mean both. There are differences in how you design the experiences, but there's also a lot of overlap. So it's useful to think about them as having a really common core. So you, you started to tell us about some of the common problems with chatbots. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's wrong with them right now and, and why we need to do better at designing them? One of the things that a lot of us have experienced with a chatbot is that, first of all, it's just what companies call them. They call them smart assistants. And just using that word smart in the first place sets up a, quite an expectation, right? I mean, that's great if you can create a smart assistant. Wonderful. There's nothing wrong with the term. But if you're going to interact with a smart assistant, and then the first thing it says is, how can I help you? Well, that's great. That sounds like it's going to be a wonderful experience. It sounds like you're going to be having an experience equivalent to talking to a human who's going to be helpful and versatile and really be able to address a broad range of questions. The trouble is most chatbots 
really disappoint on that front. They can't address a broad range of questions. One of my interviewees for this research used the expression island genius as a way of describing what chatbots can do. They can be really, really, really good at one narrow area, and that's the way you should treat them. But unfortunately, they kind of set themselves up for failure, at least for disappointment, right up front by being described by their owners as smart and then saying, how can I help you? Right. And from there, it's just downhill. So that's the first problem that happens with chatbots and it tends to have a ripple effect. So it's over-promising and under-delivering, ultimately. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's having a ripple effect, and that reputation means that they're really not fulfilling the potential that they have. I mean, our own data shows that apps, for example, are growing much faster than chatbots as a source for self-service. Now, in some ways, you could see chatbot as a channel within a channel in that sense. But still, when we look at that data and we let respondents in our survey check multiple options, we still saw apps growing twice as fast as chatbots, which is a little disappointing because you would think, right, if you can ask questions in natural language, you would gravitate towards that as opposed to having to hunt through menus and buttons and scroll bars and so on to, to find something in an app. So what's at the root of this chatbot failure? Is it a design flaw or a, a lack of data to inform the chatbot? I would say it's both of those things. And also, so there, there's room for progress on the design front in terms of the data that's available. Also, obviously, there's a huge room for progress in the underlying technologies, including AI. However, the part that is most neglected is design. And you know, a lot of my interviewees Pretty much everyone I asked about this really said that a very common mistake and cause for failure is companies say this is an IT project and hand it to a team of developers who, of course, are crucial. You can't do it without developers. But if you don't also have designers as part of the team, it's going to be very lopsided and and really miss the mark. And the reason for that is that if you think about it, the, the material that you're using when you create a chatbot is human language. And human language is complicated and requires people who know how to wield and craft the subtleties of tone and meaning in what the chatbot is going to say, and also in understanding and recognizing the subtleties in what users say. And those tend to be things that developers are not necessarily expert at. And so in the same way that you wouldn't ask your designers to go write a lot of code for your chatbot, it's not reasonable or fair to expect your developers to be able to come up with all the utterances that users will use or the prompts that the chatbot should use to ask or respond to users. Does that make sense? It does. And it makes me realize there's actually a lot of design that goes into a conversation. Can you tease that out a little bit more? Yeah. In fact, there's a whole new discipline that is called conversation design that is part of this. So a lot of the fundamental best practices of just classic good design apply here, having to do with discovery research and ideation and so on. But there's also this whole new discipline of conversation design. The classic side of it is, for example, discovering what should your chatbot even do, right? Which is super important, deciding what the scope of your chatbot should do. And one of the important sources for doing that is actually doing discovery research to identify opportunities that maybe you have not been answering questions about, but that you could. Although the approach most companies take is they think of the chatbot as a way of offloading work from the humans. And therefore, let's just look at transcripts of customer service calls and logs from live chat. 
or even logs from website search, all of which is valid. I'm not criticizing that. On the contrary, it's super important that you look at those. But looking at those, you need to be able to do clustering of identifying <clears throat> which of those utterances from your users go together and really represent one intent. And an intent means a need, a request, or a need for a particular action or a goal. That's essentially the equivalent of card sorting, right? Something that designers are very skilled at. It's an information architecture technique. The difference is that typically in a card sorting exercise, you might have a few dozen things that you're trying to organize if you're doing it for, say, website navigation architecture and wayfinding. Whereas for a chatbot, you may have thousands upon thousands of utterances and you need to do some clustering and the equivalent of card sorting there. And would that be fair to ask users to be card sorting thousands of them? No. So you need to do that as a design team. And that's a very, that's a complex exercise. The other really important aspect of this is I'm describing sort of the individual utterances and prompts, but there's also the flow of the conversation, right? So if a user says something and your bot doesn't understand it, too often we have the experience of the bot says, I do not understand. And that's sort of the end, right? That's no good. So what the bot needs to be able to do is what is known as conversation repair. And repair doesn't mean something is broken. This is a term that's used in linguistics, even for conversations between humans. If somebody says something and there's ambiguity in it, if I say something to you, Angelina or Adele, and it's ambiguous, you're not just going to answer, I do not understand. Could you repeat that more simply, right? You're going to identify the part of what I said that was ambiguous and say, do you mean this or do you mean that? Or in the case of a retail chatbot, you might say, oh, you want a t-shirt. What color would you like? And maybe list some options, right? So that's called the conversational repair. Having sort of a sequence, kind of a decision tree, if you will, that leads to an outcome through multiple turns. And that's a crucial aspect of the conversation that you need to think about designing. So you're covering the design of emerging technologies. AI is one of those things. Are chatbots and AI the same thing? Or how, do, how do they work together? Well, you can do a chatbot with zero AI. You can also use AI to make a chatbot better. But across the board, I found from my interviewees, the recommendation to start with zero AI. Even from the companies that are making AI for chatbots, they said that at, at most companies, there just is not the maturity initially to jump into AI. And pretty universally, you should start with just a deterministic chatbot, which means a decision tree that you design initially. It doesn't mean you're not going to do AI next. You will, but you should start that way. And it's, it's simple. It helps you understand the issues. And then you graduate to using a machine learning model. Those are all sorts of things that people are just not accustomed to. You know, One of the agencies I spoke with about this said something interesting that with their clients, they find that people have a hard time getting used to something that is not deterministic, that's probabilistic, where you really can't predict with 100% certainty what the bot is going to say. <laughs> that can be unnerving, right? It can be especially unnerving if you're in a regulated industry like healthcare or finance. It can be a little scary. So it introduces this whole new layer of complexity that is not appropriate up front. You should start with a deterministic chatbot and then apply machine learning later. So a deterministic chatbot, is that the robot personality we imagine? Or, or can we still have personality? The risk is that it come across as robotic, absolutely. If you have just a decision tree and you have not done a good enough job of thinking through the personality, both to make it feel human enough, not 100% human, but human enough, and also to make sure that it lines up with your identity as a company and as a brand. And 
those are two important things. And personality design is one of the areas where designers can be of the most help, I think. One of the really important things to recognize, this goes back to what we were saying before about the collaboration between developers and designers, is that users are going to perceive a personality in your chatbot, whether you like it or not. Why? Because your chatbot is using natural language. And natural language is feels like one of the most distinctive human traits, right? Whereas if you're interacting with you know buttons and scroll bars and windows, those are very clearly more digital. So your users are much less likely to anthropomorphize, even though we do sometimes talk about apps having thoughts or intentions, it's less likely. Whereas with a chatbot, users can't help themselves, they're going to. So even if you as a company say, oh, we don't need to design a personality, that's sort of icing, maybe later. Well, if you don't design it, they're going to perceive one anyway, and it's going to be an accident. Is that really what you want? No. So you really need to be deliberate about it and think about it so that don't perceive something you don't want them to perceive. And there, there are several aspects to that. The first is to think about the intents. What is it going to do? And people often neglect that, but it really is part of the personality, right? Even as humans, we kind of assess each other's personalities based on how we speak, our tone of voice, our body language but also based on behaviors, right? What is this person doing? And that is an aspect of personality. And it's the, the really the core sort of scope aspect of a chatbot. What's it going to do? Well, that actually is part of the personality and constrains what the personality should be. Constrains in the good sense, you know, determines. And then, you know, the big, 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 biggest probably part of the personality is how the chatbot expresses itself. It's phrasing, it's word choice. And that's something where you really want to have professionals involved. One of the uh, companies I interviewed for this used their communications team. I was speaking to their head of IT and he connected with the communications team with their professional writers. Another one, one of the technology vendors actually hired somebody who was an author at the New Yorker to do a lot of their writing and work with writers and help them design convincing dialogue that was actually the way humans would interact. In any case, you'd have you should have UX copywriters involved in all of that because there's a huge amount of subtlety to it already in text. And if it's also a voice bot, there's even more in terms of pitch, stress, rhythm, etc. That is very very subtle in the way you want to be able to control the personality. And then finally, I'd say the other thing I want to mention about personality is the name. Right? Should you name your bot or should you not? Some brands like USAA has had a bot for you know one of the longest standing bots. It does not have a name. Their choice has been not to name it. Whereas others have named it, like Bank of America's, is, they've called theirs Erica. Capital One's is called Eno. And there's interesting distinction there. For Erica and many others, the name is stereotypically feminine. And that is a choice. Controversial and increasingly so, though, many people point out that there's unfortunately, a long established practice of treating women as being in a subservient role and using stereotypically feminine names for a chatbot tends to perpetuate that. So if you would like to steer clear of that and not perpetuate that, it would be smarter to choose a neutral name. But again, it's a, it's a matter of thinking about the connotations and the implications and just making sure it's a deliberate choice. I'm certainly not saying it's wrong, to have a bot that is has a name that is either stereotypically male or female, but it's a choice you want to make when thinking about those questions. You know, BBVA calls theirs blue, just spelled B-L-U, completely gender ambiguous on purpose. Feels a little bit more like a mascot 
I like it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is really interesting, David. Thank you for, for giving us this primer. Where are you taking this research next? Well, I agree it's fascinating. And that's what's good about it. But it also means there's lots more research and to say. Uh, in fact, a bunch more research coming out. I'm initially going to be coming out with a series of reports that will be kind of the core and then some more that will follow. A foundational report on how to design chatbots and then one about actions, how to design what chatbots do, what your chatbot should do. One about how to design your chatbot's personality and then others about how to design how it listens, how to, the dialogue will flow, how collaboration happens. These are all topics. I'm not sure how, whether I'll package them all exactly as individual reports. I don't want to commit to that. These are important issues to be addressing. How the handoffs should happen, right? Because your chatbot should be able to hand off a communication to a human and sometimes back in the other direction, right? It's not necessarily an escalation because it may go back. Just transferring back and forth to whatever the optimal interactor is. You know, there's some really key issues like earlier in the episode, I talked about intents and identifying what your chatbot should do, well, you're going to end up with too much stuff on that list. So you need to triage, right? What are the things that actually are better handled by a human that a chatbot could not handle? Or a situation where a chatbot could, but really shouldn't. You know, one of the firms we spoke with is an HR benefits provider and pointed out that if they have a member who is interacting with a chatbot about life events that impact insurance and is reporting a death, well, that's a point where they just transfer to a human right away. They don't want their chatbot dealing with that because there's too much risk of emotional harm and they, they don't want that to happen. Even if they felt the technology could, it's not appropriate. You then need to prioritize and prioritization. There are all these factors having to do with frequency, ease of implementation, how simple the ontology is around the intents that you're creating. So there are lots and lots of issues. It's a very rich vein of research. And I think super relevant because we've all seen so many chatbots out there. It's clear that they're here to stay. And yet most of them have so far to go. There's a lot of work to do. So I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer about chatbots. I'm actually very bullish about them long-term. I think there's huge potential. I think it's exciting. I'm optimistic about it. But right now there's just a ton of work to do. A lot of them are kind of like toddlers and need a lot of help. Uh, and so I'm excited to be doing this research about them and hope to be able to contribute to making them better. Well, David, it's clear we've just scratched the surface on everything you are learning and have learned on chatbots. So we'll have to have you back soon, maybe make a little series out of this. What do you think? Absolutely. Would love to. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into the CX Cast. Until next time. <laughs>